Join with me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we ask your blessing upon us this day, upon our time of listening to scripture and thinking about it, but also listening for a word from you for us this day. Amen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Christ is risen indeed. It's one of my favorite call and responses that we have in the church, and I I confess that it's a little bit strange for me this morning. But it's becoming less strange because the more that I do it, the more that I do it into a little camera, a little microphone, the more I think about each of you out there watching, each of you with your families looking at each other lovingly and saying, he is risen indeed. And so I hear your voices. As I look out in the sanctuary, I, I can't begin to tell you how much it warms me to know or to be back in this spot and know where you all sit. I know sometimes in churches we tell people move around, but I've decided I don't like that. I like knowing where you sit. I also like that it creates little pockets of community. I hope that you've thought about those people that you normally worship with. And that you might even reach out to them. This is a part of what it means to be in community. So friends, back in February, I was preaching a sermon. And I started it off by telling you all, by sharing that for as long as I can remember, I've been afraid of the dark. As I said then, my fear of the dark took various forms, and as I've aged, perhaps I'd like to tell myself that I really don't have a fear anymore, but but more of a discomfort, a, a discomfort with the lack of control, maybe, and a discomfort with what might be my real fear, the underlying fear, the fear of not knowing where I am or where I'm going or even what's happening. Yesterday, in an email to the congregation, I shared a reflection that I wrote about Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday, a a hinge day, the connection between the final days of Jesus' earthly life, the the hinge between Christ's brutal death and burial, and, and what? And what? And what on the other side? What is the bookend of the three days? The three days that start with betrayal and end with, with, with what? We know these three days end in celebration. Some of us skip over the three days and jump right to the alleluias, in, in the, the shouts of celebrations, the, the lilies and the bonnets and the egg hunts and the baskets and the chocolate bunnies and the puffy peeps and the lamb and the ham and family gatherings. This we know. This we know. We know it. And this year, we even more keenly know it. Because family gatherings are looking a lot different. There's no contact. There's transfers of food in parking lots and and cards and baskets handed off. Celebrations are for just a few within your household, not a table that always has room for one more. 
Easter bonnets and dresses don't seem to be the star today. I hope some of you are starring in them, but no one's really worried about what to wear to church today. And like I said, when I say Christ is risen, I don't hear it back. So what is on the other end of Holy Saturday? When we, when we take away all of those other things, what is then on the other end of Holy Saturday? What is on the other end? It's exactly what's always been on the other end, on the other side of the three days, on the other end of the three days. The reason, the reason for those three days And the reason for our very being as Christ's disciples, what is on the other end of Holy Saturday, well, it's frightening. In our gospel text that Walt read for us this morning, we hear the chilling story of two women going to see the tomb of Jesus. They're up early, early in the morning after the Sabbath can imagine that their nights of sleep were rough. You can imagine their sadness, the rawness of their loss still on their hearts, just beginning to be on their hearts. And Matthew writes that they went to see the tomb. When they arrive, the earth shakes. There's a great earthquake. Did you catch that? And an angel of the Lord comes down Imagine the scene. The angel of the Lord comes down and rolls away the stone that's in front of the tomb, and he sits on it. He sits on it. I love this image of an angel sitting on the stone, greeting these two women. And then the gospel says that he looked like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. I don't, even, I don't even know what lightning looks like. It's gone, it's gone so quick in a, in a flash, but this, this image is terrifying. And it's, it's so terrifying that the guards, presumably guards who were chosen because they're good guards, the guards who were there were probably quite competent to be put in charge of this particular tomb. The guards fall down, and they are as though they are dead. As though they are dead. They couldn't move. An angel, and the angel then looks at the women, and the first word the, angels, the angel utters to the women Do not be afraid. I've decided, and I've shared this before, that whenever someone in the Bible says, do not be afraid, there's probably good reason to be afraid. Now, a lot of people look for fun numerological patterns in the Bible. You know, repeating numbers or, or sp- significant numbers of times that things come up. And, and some of them I've looked for and checked myself. But the one I haven't looked for, the one I haven't checked and I've just accepted as possibly or at least arguably true, 
is that there are 365 times in the scriptures where God's people are told by God through one of God's messengers or through Jesus Christ not to be afraid. 365. Except, of course, for a leap year like this one, that's one time for each day of the year. 365 times. Don't be afraid. And so preachers have used these texts repeated over and over again. Texts like the angel saying to these two women, do not be afraid. Preachers have used these texts and and Christians and greeting cards and songwriters have used these texts to try and convince people that following God means not being afraid. That somehow, if we're in a right relationship with God, the fear will go away since Over and over again, God says, don't be afraid. The angel says, don't be afraid. And he goes on to say, so I know you're looking for Jesus. But he's not here. He's been raised from the dead, and you're going to see him. Now, let's go back to what I said a few moments ago. When an angel says, do not be afraid, you've probably got good reason to be afraid. And on that first Easter morning, on top of the devastation of losing their friend and teacher, they face this angel who in a lightning flash of a moment has changed the course of their lives and of human history. They are thunderstruck and like those guards, the ones who are scared into a death-like state. They've got to be afraid. The interesting thing, though, in this text is that there's nothing from the women, there's nothing from the women to indicate that they're afraid. We know that the guards were were terrified, but there's no mention of the women being afraid, only that the angel tells them not to be afraid. And the women do exactly as the angel tells them to do. They leave the empty tomb, hearts racing, and they run to tell the disciples. But first, the story takes a shocking turn as the women are running from this empty tomb to see their friends, to deliver this message, to deliver this good news. They're running, and they run into Jesus. The text says, suddenly... And he says, greetings. First thing he says is this brief salutation. Hey, friends. And then his next words are familiar. They're familiar because the women just heard the angel say them to them. The women are at the feet of Jesus. They're literally worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And he looks at them, his friends. And he says to them, do not be afraid. If our Savior could look into our eyes right now, in the midst of all that we are living in, our Savior would look into our eyes and say, do not be afraid. We're living in a time of fear. Some of the fear is subtle, some of it's less significant, but some of it is overwhelming at times. We're living in this time of fear and confusion and lack of control and and loss after loss. 
When will it end? There's all of this uncertainty, this uncertainty that can become overwhelming. And no one, and no one can tell us with certainty when it's going to end. No one can remove it. None of us can do it. And this is the message that comes from that angel. Do not be afraid. Over and over again, that's the Easter message. Don't be afraid. But this message, this message not to be afraid, it isn't meant to say, it isn't meant to say, and listen keenly to this, it isn't meant to say that there is nothing to fear. And it isn't even a promise that everything's going to work out just fine. We know it doesn't all work out just fine. The assurance in those words, do not be afraid, is the assurance that no matter what, no matter what is to come, no matter what you are facing, no matter what, no matter what fears come your way, you are not facing it alone. And the God who loves you, the God who created you, the God who died on a cross for you, the God who overcame the tomb for you, the God who is with you, is stronger than anything, anything, anything you or I could face. This is God's message. Not mine. Not some actual televangelist preacher who who tells you that if you have real faith, you won't have fear. No, it's God's message, and it's a message that speaks into your places of fear. It is God through the angel, and in the form of Jesus Christ, who brings this message on Easter morning twice. Twice. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on fear. For goodness sake, I'm a, I'm a grown man and I'm afraid of the dark. But on Easter, this Easter, I'm choosing in the midst of my own fears, in the reality of our present condition, and in the reality of preaching to an empty sanctuary, I choose to say, Alleluia. I choose to lift my praises to the God who says, Do not be afraid. The God who speaks into our place and our space and says, I am with you. Always, to this God, I choose to say, Alleluia. And I choose to say, Alleluia, today, because I stand on the shoulders of so many who have said, Alleluia, in the midst of all that they were enduring. I choose to say, Alleluia, today, because I stand on your shoulders on so many of you who have chosen your alleluias in the midst of of grief beyond measure. You've shouted your alleluias, waiting for good news even after disappointment and disappointment. You've chosen your alleluias. Feeling alone, depressed, abandoned, and empty, you've whispered, alleluia. 
caring for a loved one whose memory is slipping, you've chosen Alleluia. Searching for your purpose, you've chosen Alleluia. In the midst of coronavirus and cancer and surgeries and aging and holding the hands of a loved one and sitting alone when you'd rather be with the people you love. We choose to come before God and say, Alleluia. And this, my friends, is Easter. This is resurrection. Easter is choosing Alleluia, choosing Alleluia in the midst of our fear. Not instead of our fear, not as a, as, a, as a quick fix to our fear, choosing to follow the God who is triumphant and the God, not anyone else, the God who can say to us, do not be afraid. Easter, it is about all those wonderful things that I mentioned earlier, traditions we all love. But this year, and every Easter, may we be a people who choose to say, Alleluia! Christ is risen! Alleluia! Amen! In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.